Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. When a nation fears that its enemy is developing the ultimate weapon and may threaten to use it, a military strike intended to destroy this project is not unthinkable. Indeed, Iran set this precedent roughly 41 years ago when it unsuccessfully sent its air force to bomb the Iraqi nuclear reactor. A few months later, Israel did it with a totally different result and in 2007 repeated this operation against the North Korean reactor secretly built in Syria. It is logical to assume that if Iran persists in accumulating the necessary tools and materials needed for nuclear warheads, Israel would try to preempt it. But with international conditions what they are, is Israeli military action a real prospect or just an option talked about in order to give more weight to American diplomacy? To further analyze this topic, we're joined from elsewhere in the Greater Jerusalem area, Retired Colonel Dr. Iran Lehrman, who is the co-host of TV7's Middle East Review, Vice President of the Jerusalem Institute for Strategy and Security, and Editor-in-Chief of the Jerusalem Strategic Tribune. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Also joining us from elsewhere in Jerusalem is Dr. Menachem Elchavi, who is a research fellow at the Truman Institute at the Hebrew University here in Jerusalem. Welcome as well. Thanks for having me. And with me here in the studio is our TV7 analyst, Mr. Amir Oren, as well as the host, if I may add, of Watchmen Talk. Amir, Israel has the capacity to strike Iran. Uh, it is known that it has the capabilities to do so. The consequences thereof, however, would cause uh, wider escalation throughout the region and bring about uh, regional conflict, to which, of course, uh, we haven't seen, at least not for the past uh uh, seven or eight uh, decades from now. How do you view this actually creating a deterrent towards Iran uh, at a time when a real credible threat is necessary, but at the same time the Iranians are entrenching themselves in order to ensure that something like this may also be deterred uh, due to the consequences thereof? Jonathan, you uh, pose two sets of two questions each, and there is, of course, a convergence between these two sets. The first one, regarding the Israeli capability to strike, is does such an operation, is it necessary, is it essential, and is it going to be effective? The second set has to do with the question of whether Iran wants to get its nuclear arsenal, the first nuclear warhead about which a few days ago uh, some authoritative source told the New York Times that they are only a month away from. And even if they don't want to get there, if they only want the perception of their being so close to it, could they miscalculate and bring about the very action which up to now they probably thought uh, they are not at the gate of. So these four questions, two in each set, should be discussed. Now, of course, Israel has the capacity 
to launch an operation, to launch a sortie or a strike. We saw in the uh, Gaza operations of the last several years, 100 or 160 fighter planes synchronized, orchestrated in such a way that they flew in an even more complicated operation than Iran would necessitate, because they all had to be in a very, very compact airspace of a few miles in Iran or in Iraq or elsewhere. The Israeli Air Force can come from many angles, can come um, in uh, several floors, so to speak, one above the other. And in Gaza and in Lebanon, it managed to do it um, even more efficiently. So, yes, the first strike, the first sortie, the first day, obviously they can do it. But how long will it take to make sure that the entire infrastructure was taken out? For how long will this achievement last before they rebuild? And, as you mentioned, how are the Iranians going to respond, not only against Israel or against American assets in the Persian Gulf area, but also against Gulf sheikdoms and kingdoms and oil domes, um, and they are all vulnerable. So the Iranian propensity for scorched earth, which we saw in the Iran-Iraq war in the 80s, could be repeated here. These are all questions which Israeli decision makers are pondering, obviously with consultations. Uh, in consultations with their American counterparts, and it will be a last resort only when all other options have been exhausted. Indeed. I'd like to bring Dr. Lehrman into the discussion. You have been uh, Israel's former deputy national security advisor, as part of which you headed also the research of uh, uh, some of the most complex issues, one of them being Iran, uh, in uh, the, the prime minister's office. How do you see Israel prepare for such a scenario when uh, there are going to be so many devastating consequences to it, but at the same time, uh, it may be the only alternative to seeing suddenly Iran with uh, nuclear arms uh, in its possession and uh, bringing its capacity of uh, regional uh, policies with regard to its proxy uh, 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 campaigns in, in Iraq, in Yemen, in Lebanon, in Syria, and elsewhere uh, to a very different magnitude from what we know today? I, I would say that planning takes place at several levels. First of all, there is the, uh, the question of targets in Iran itself, the extremely complex um, operational considerations. This is not a one-time um, limited target, as Amir rightly said. On the other hand, you don't have to take the, out the entire infrastructure. There are several key bottlenecks which are relevant to the production uh, of a potential production of a, of a nuclear capacity. And there's also the implications uh, of what happens once that threshold is crossed. I, I go back to the planning that went into uh, what I know about the planning that went into Osirak, the planning that went into uh, Deir Ezzor, and the, um, the working assumption has been we do not gain a, a forever outcome, we gain a respite of a few years, and even that is worth it. 
in practice, what happened is Iraq never got there and Syria never got there. And, uh, and uh, the implications in Iran uh, are, are wide open uh, as to what happens if they uh, put Israel in a situation where military action is the only option. By the way, uh, not all military actions are kinetic. Uh, this is not just uh, a question of an Air Force strike. Uh, we've seen a wide range of other options uh, uh, built over the years by various elements within the Israeli defense establishment. And I think uh, the less said about the details, the better. Uh, so that's one layer. Uh, but, it's, but at the same time, we have to take into consideration the one main threat, L leave aside a stray uh, rocket from Yemen or a salvo from uh, the Iranian militia, backed militias in Iraq, uh, which, are, which would be a problem for uh, the Kazemi government to solve. Um, I'm talking, and, and even a salvo of, non, uh, uh, of, of conventional warheads from Iran, uh, it sounds very scary, but it's not within the, uh, it's within the capacity of our defense systems to handle. The main issue, absolutely the one for, for which the IDF has been preparing itself now for years uh, at, at all levels, is the uh, use of Hezbollah uh, against Israel full force in what would amount to uh, the third Lebanon war and a much more devastating one than the two previous ones. That's the main issue. That's where the IDF planners and the uh, political level uh, uh, put their, uh, the second greatest emphasis after the Iran target system itself. The uh, Hezbollah has been built, financed, armed, trained, essentially to respond to exactly this kind of scenario. So we cannot assume uh, that uh, the needs of the Lebanese people or the authority of the Lebanese government will stop Hassan Nasrallah from giving the order or conveying the order of the supreme leader when the day comes. So this is, I think, the level uh, at which decisions will need to be taken and taken quickly, because the sooner we act against the Hezbollah threat, the lesser the threat to our own um, people in, the, uh, in our civilian centers, and the, greatest, the greater the likelihood of, uh, of a uh, decisive outcome. But that's going to be one of the toughest, toughest wars we've fought uh, since 48. Indeed. Dr. Merhavi, as somebody who monitors proxies not only in Iraq but also in Syria and elsewhere, uh, those Iranian proxies that uh, everybody are speaking about with Hezbollah, as uh, Dr. Leoman mentioned correctly, being the most uh, ardent of them uh, with regard to uh, their planning to attack Israel, uh, this is going to be quite a devastating uh, firepower being shot in both directions, for that matter, with hundreds of thousands of missiles, both statistical missiles as well as precision-guided missiles, being utilized for this purpose. How do you see the Iranians actually going to the length of trying to entrench militarily in Syria and Lebanon and elsewhere in order to deter Israel from making the decision that ultimately will have to be taken, which will then, of course, as a consequence, bring about quite a significant northern war that many are anticipating. 
Well, yes, I think the threat, the Iranian threat uh, by the proxies is there. It's on the table. Everybody knows it. And Dr. Lerman has actually referred to it. Uh, this is the Israeli assumption that once, if such an attack were to take place, um, Hezbollah will uh, go into action uh, full force. Um, but I think this is not the only reason why Israel has not attacked. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the Israeli consideration has to take the U.S. policy into uh, into the picture. And uh, the bottom line, without going into details, is that Israel cannot uh, attack Iran on its own. That is, without American umbrella. It doesn't have to be American direct involvement in the attack, but uh, the U.S. has to be in the picture. And I think, uh, and unlike, by the way, the attack in Iraq or the attack in Syria, uh, the two uh, you know, previous attacks uh, against nuclear sites in the region, the Iranian case is very different uh, for, for a host of reasons, one of which is the size of Iran and the uh, way the nuclear sites are spread out there. Um, you cannot do it in a in one moment strike, so to speak, uh, the, the kind of which uh, you had in previous attacks. And that means the Israel would have to go into shelters for uh, a few months, uh, if not even more than that. And uh, and again, I think the attack itself also has to take um, to be supported by the U.S. Uh, not just diplomatic support, but actually um, military intelligence support as well. Uh, and uh, I, again, I think that's one of the reasons why we see the Israeli prime ministers, whether previous one or, or the uh, current one, it's not a personal matter, running back and forth to Washington uh, and receiving, you know, heads of CIA here to discuss, you know, all the options and to try to feel the pulse in the American uh, highest echelons about this question. Because, um, again, without going into details, I think an Israeli attack on its own against Iran's nuclear program, military attack, uh, is, is out of the question. What you do have is the kind of operations, uh, as Dr. Lerman has referred to, of, uh, you know, uh, according to foreign sources um, headed by Israel uh, against nuclear sites, you know, inside jobs, that sort of thing. Indeed. Mr. Olin, to what degree is this uh, potential Israeli strike, uh, considering the fact that it wants to assert a credible military threat on Iran's nuclear enrichment program, are there other actors in the region with like-minded nature of concern with regard to this uh, uh, potential bomb being produced? Also, probably going to to have some sort of involvement in such a, a, a broad operation that would, of course, include multiple facets and uh, multiple weeks, if not months, uh, of intensive fighting on uh, a regional scale, uh, for instance, Saudi Arabia or the United Arab Emirates, which are already uh, under Iranian threats on, on quite a, a daily and, and a weekly basis. Well, one doesn't really see the uh, Saudi Air Force taking off and coordinating with the Israeli Air Force to strike uh, uh, Iran. Uh, you remember that in uh, 1991, in uh, Desert Storm, when there was a coalition of uh, Western, Russian, Arab um, forces. The Saudis themselves um, held the line 
along with the Syrians and the Egyptians, they did not go on the attack in Kuwait or, or against uh, Iraq. They played uh, a token role. And one uh, does not see them uh, being uh, so uh, bold or uh, perhaps uh, gambling the uh, kingdom on the results of uh, such a strike, especially since they have the recent lesson of the United States leaving Afghanistan uh, after a while. So they're not... Beyond that, also withdrawing its Patriot missiles and now uh, hearing about the reports with regard to the big deal being struck between Saudi Arabia and Russia on a significant defense deal at the expense of that same defense deal that was initially struck with the Trump administration several years back. Yes, that means that, um, of course, the Saudis uh, are spreading around uh, their alliances uh, as well they should. Uh, they can't count on only one uh, power, even if it's uh, a superpower. But uh, what Israel uh, can expect is uh, some uh, overflight uh, permits uh, to shorten the route uh, to uh, its targets, or perhaps uh, emergency landing rights. Uh, if uh, a plane coming back from a strike uh, is hit uh, and uh, the pilot requests uh, emergency landing. But uh, what uh, perhaps the Iranians should understand is that if Israel does decide to launch an operation, it is not only the Natanz and Iraq and Fodou sites which will be attacked, and not only uh, some um, national infrastructure um, sites which will be uh, probably taken out by cyber. The Iranian regime, its leadership, from Ayatollah Khamenei and President Raisi they will on, be all targets. on down, Yes, and for a good reason, because it is not the nuclear weapons themselves which threaten Israel. There are half a dozen other nuclear powers in the world already, and Israel doesn't feel um, concerned by any of them, perhaps except for Pakistan, uh, should uh, it uh, melt down and uh, its uh, arsenal evaporate and uh, find itself uh, in hostile hands. It's the intention, not the capability. And the intention stems from the head. And the head of the regime, if they um, should uh, go nuclear, they should understand that both themselves, as well as Hassan Nasrallah, and whoever um, gives the order to uh, target Israel, will not be spared. Indeed, Dr. Leoman, this scenario was conveyed to the Russians and Chinese about an apocalyptic scenario, of course, to the Middle East, something that uh, neither Moscow nor Beijing are keen on, on uh, seeing in light of their own interests for stability in this region, economic interests, vessel state interests, and, and such. How do you see them being convinced to bring about certain more stringent measures towards the Iranians, since it seems like they're quite open to any concessions being made by the West, while they themselves may not necessarily feel uh, as comfortable once such a scenario will evolve. You're absolutely right. The, the Russians are free riders in this case, and have been for a while. Um, 
they assume that the West will somehow find a way to take care of this. Israel will find a way to take care of this. Uh, and the threat of a, a, an Islamist nuclear power, uh, another Islamist nuclear power, because they are mighty worried about Pakistan. They are much more worried about Pakistan than we are for, for reasons having to do with Central Asia and the Pakistani-Chinese relationship. But uh, another one, another destabilizing uh, nuclear power, which would lead uh, with almost with some certainty to Turkey taking the same steps uh, and, and other uh, Russian nightmares uh, materializing. Um, I think they, uh, if they are faced with a very clear, unambiguous choice, and I think the American administration, the Obama, we have to say, the Obama administration in its first term of office managed to convey this message to Russia, to China. We were uh, helpful in conveying this message to China. That the choice is between bringing immense pressure to bear on Tehran or a war, they would choose pressure. But they would not make this choice only if all other options were uh, uh, slammed shut. And I think that this is what uh, needs to be the core of the discussion between Israel, the United States, and the three European parties, of which two in particular, Britain and France, seem to understand fully what is at stake. The Germans, you know, uh, they, uh, they've learned to dislike war. And probably if I have to choose between Germans who dislike war and Germans who like war, I think it's a no-brainer. But uh, uh, so they, they, they shy away from anything that involves a, a forceful solution. Uh, not so Britain and France. They understand what the region would be like uh, under the shadow of uh, the Ayatollah's regime with the bomb. And so we, uh, uh, we need to clear our minds for a very challenging uh, period lying uh, just ahead. Dr. Merhavi, do the Iranians comprehend uh, the amount of devastation that will emerge out of this uh, quest to attain uh, nuclear capabilities at a time when uh, they are, of course, trying to, to compete with multiple regional actors that uh, are evidently much more powerful than they are. Yes, I think they do. Uh, I'm, I'm one of those who don't think that the Iranian regime is... Uh, you know, is a bunch of nutcases. I think they're quite rational, and uh, I think they will not do. They will not risk their own uh, country, its very existence, uh, for for a nuclear bomb. Honestly, I think they uh, they walk on the verge. They walk on the brink, but they will stop exactly at the point that they think you know the farthest they can get. Um, and even if, if they had the capability, and that takes us back to the beginning of this um, uh, meeting, is even if they get to the threshold, as it's called. Uh, it doesn't mean they will rush to have a bomb. I think they know that the consequences of that uh, will be great. I would just like to add another point that we haven't um, haven't addressed here, and that is that Israel's recent uh, diplomatic, open diplomatic relations with countries in the Gulf is another factor here, because an Israeli attack, if it were to take place, and again, I think it's not very likely, um, and it's it's quite impossible without U.S. support. Uh, but even if it were to take place, uh, it's another factor that Israel has to uh, calculate in because uh, the consequences will be might be more severe actually for countries that are very close to Iran, like uh, like the Emirates, 
and uh, Israel will have to take that into account as well um, when, if and when it uh, decides to go on such an attack. Mr. Oren? Well, no actor here is in full control of their fate. And uh, because it's a game of perceptions, there is uh, a lot of room for miscalculations. The Iranians may think that because they have not made the decision to go nuclear, they are safe. And because they know that this is a fact, and the Israeli intelligence services are known for their penetrating minds, um, then it means that Israel uh, will sit still because the Iranians are not there yet. But they may miscalculate the way Nasser did both in 1956 and in 1967. He thought he knew what he was doing regarding the Suez Canal or the Straits of Tehran, but uh, it got out of hand. There are too many players here, too many vectors, and we, can, we could uh, go down the uh, slippery slope without anyone uh, originally intending it. Indeed. Well, we're drawing near to the end of the program less than two minutes from now, and I'd like to ask Dr. Lehrmann, uh, if you will, very shortly, uh, do we expect this credible military threat turn into action uh, if the diplomatic overtures being conducted right now behind the scenes, regardless of what happens in Vienna, um, being materialized into uh, reality? And if so, uh, what may we expect from such a scenario when we see uh, the, the amounts of preparation being put into uh, the scale of devastation that may ensue after this? Well, um, the president said so much uh, from his uh, prepared notes, so this was not an, uh, an improvisation. Uh, he said very clearly, if the diplomatic efforts fails, we need to weigh other options. The range of options is pretty wide. Uh, as we've seen over the years, the Obama administration uh, was involved for a prolonged period of time, for example, where, with an Israeli uh, operation uh, which was, uh, so to speak, non-kinetic. And there are other non-kinetic and semi-kinetic and covertly kinetic options across the board. Uh, but ultimately, at the end of the scale, yes, we need to uh, steal ourselves for the possibility that this may involve a, a full-scale uh, eruption of, uh, of hostilities. I, I wouldn't assume that this would engulf the entire region. For us, it would be Israel versus Hezbollah, mainly. Mm -hmm. Islamic Jihad from Gaza, to the extent that Hamas cannot curb them, because Hamas are not working for the Iranians, and the devastation they may face uh, could deter them. Um, everyone will... else would uh, in the region would uh, try to act as if they had nothing to do with it, and they may succeed. Uh, and I think that's, uh, as Menachem said, that's to our benefit not to get the Gulfies uh, involved in one way or the other. We can handle it ourselves. Well, this is all the time that we have for today. I'd like to thank Dr. Lehrman, Dr. Melchavi, and Mr. Owen for being part of today's program. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well. And we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.